You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and of my co-host, we are joined today by Rob Levy. What's up, Rob? What's up? Hey, kids. Unfortunately, Stephanie is not with us this week because she and her husband, Bob, are playing a gig tonight. So we're very excited about that, and we will share video from that show and uh, uh, recent shows, too. Um, that, that they've been doing with other people got video that somebody took of that uh, got shared today. So I'll, I'll put that out on our socials so people can see that. But since Stephanie is not here, we are joined once again by our great friend, JM Tuffley. How's it going, buddy? Uh, that's pretty good reason for, for Stephanie to not, not be here. I, I would, uh, I'd be looking forward to seeing the video. Uh, I'm good. How are you guys? Excellent. You're at this point kind of like our Joan Rivers. Anytime Johnny Carson <laughs> needed to go on vacation, Joan Rivers filled in. So we are happy to have you on board today, Joan. I, I, I needed something with shoulder, shoulder pads, I think. Even though it's an audio <laughs> podcast, probably. Imagine, listeners at home, imagine I'm wearing something with large shoulder pads. It'll work for you. It's fine. Right on. <laughs> so the big news this week is the drop of Beyonce's brand new country single and the uproar that that has caused. So let's just set a, a very general timeline here. She shows up at the Grammys dressed like a cowgirl, basically. A very fancy cowgirl because it's Louis Vuitton and very elegant, but cowgirl nonetheless. And the rumors began and the the rumors of a new album had been circulating anyway and super bowl comes around they put out a commercial that basically advertises a brand new beyonce country album the single texas hold'em has now become the first number one single on the country charts by a black woman so that has stirred up a little bit of controversy a little bit of clap back from some country fans we're going to talk about all of that stuff so the basic question first and foremost is what do you think of this new beyonce texas holdem of the two she put out not my favorite one really um it is a good party record it, it kind of it's a party record and it kind of fits into sort of i guess the bro country-esque sort of stuff that uh, is populating country radio now, but 16 carriages is like really, really good. Interesting. Like 16 carriages is really good. Um, and uh, I, I wish, I wish they'd put a little more promotion on that one, but mm. I could see why they want to do Texas Hold'em. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it fits more in line with what they're playing on modern country radio. And 16 carriages is kind of a more traditional kind of a ballad sort of song. Which, which I feel really works for her, but I can see why they went with the other one. That's very interesting because of the two, 
16 can uh, 16 carriages is yeah. my least favorite of the two i kept doing I, that too i kept almost saying 16 candles it just <laughs> it just hasn't grabbed me i mean it's yeah. okay but it doesn't really it's not selling me yet I, it, it's a little more of it's a little more of a vocal workout i think for her which is yeah. really what you want from beyonce you really want the fireworks yeah the rob what do you think i love the 16 carriages yeah. oh wow um mainly because it to me, it is more steeped in the legacy of what I consider country music. That's and it, it harkens back to the roots of country music, which comes out of, you know, black music from the South. It feels more like blues. It feels more sort of rooted in earlier traditions of country. Hmm. I don't mind the single, but when I say Beyonce is doing a country single, that is the song that is in my head. Of what it's going to sound like it sounded exactly like what i expected it to sound whereas 16 carriages i think really kind of surprised me of like okay she's not just doing this to slap her name on a country album sell records she's like not screwing around that shows the commitment and the reverence for the material too um, and i think the other one is just purely um sort of to fix the label. And I think, you know, I don't think it's necessarily her singing or anything. I just think it's the production for yeah. the single. I just think it's a little overproduced. See, I think they both are. And I think yeah. that that may be the thing that is kind of like being a barrier for me with 16 Carriages. Uh, maybe lyrically, maybe song structure sort of harkens back to traditional country, but I think the production doesn't. And I think maybe that's what's got me hung up on this, you know? Um, whereas Texas Hold'em sounds country-ish. You know what I yeah. mean? It's got all the hallmarks of a country song, even if they are a bit overproduced. But, you know, you're going to get that with a Beyonce record. Yeah, I think any of us that live through the uh, nightmare shell of hearing Cotton Eye Joe um, <laughs> are terrified whenever anyone says they're making a country record. Hmm. Uh, you know, that's just kind of like that frightens us so much that, you know, we have to really be shown that that's what we want is like a real country record and not like a knockoff, right? Yeah. Not that Beyonce would do a knockoff. The single is perfectly fine as a single. It serves its purpose as a single. It mm -hmm. is designed to be a pop record that goes on the charts, but I want to know that she's all in. And that's what I got in the, in the, in the other one, you know, yeah. and now it's like, okay, this is the commitment she's putting in the work. And, um, she actually knows the material. Like this is not just a, not, this isn't the thing she's doing for the sake of doing it, she really does have an affinity for country music when I listen to the second single. She's from Texas, though, right? Yeah. So she, she would have grown up in that environment and, and with those traditions and hearing that music on the radio as a kid. So I feel like, yeah, she really does have this. Like, that's in what her... she's kind of been saying in the run-up to this. Like, that's mm -hmm. kind of where a lot of her influences is from within country music. Mm -hmm. uh, it's part of the soup. And one of the things that she's also said in the run up to some of this stuff is, and how she's framing, I guess, what's now the Renaissance projects Yeah, is that, you know, all of this, all of that she's doing is kind of putting her spin and sort of putting a light on um, unrepresented peoples and their places in genres and music. Because a lot of Renaissance part one is very much club disco stuff. Mm hmm. Um, and it looks like if Renaissance part two is all country, um, that also kind of, because, because of the influence that, uh, black, black musicians had in the country realm and sort of sometimes, um, had to kind of not present themselves as themselves 
Uh, I know Rob had mentioned somewhere Charlie Pride, where mm-hmm. you know he got a lot of his big deal. A lot of his audience didn't initially know that he was black. That's very true. So that sort of thing and how it came out of the blues tradition and that sort of thing. And I, that 16 carriages track is actually the thing that makes me really intrigued by this rec for this record. Hmm. Okay. I seem to remember Charlie bride, Charlie pride winning a Grammy and showing up and nobody knew sort of like the, yep. And he was black and it was kind of like this collective, like kind of thing. Uh, I, I know that the record label certainly tried to hide that. Um, at the beginning from DJs, particularly in the South. And then I think through his persistence, you know, he really fought away at that. So, yeah. Women writers used to have to use male pseudonyms in order to get their stuff published. It's just part of that whole sad fabric of our country where you have to hide certain things from certain parts of the audience. You know, I, I hope that we are beyond that now. But, you know, when you look at some of the reaction from some country fans to Beyonce's new single, you have to wonder, are we beyond that? Because she has gotten some blowback on this and some big names have come in and, and stepped up in support of her. One of them being Dolly Parton. So, you know, you have to wonder, I mean, is what's so different now about Beyonce doing a country record and Darius Rucker making a move into country music. Is it that Beyonce isn't convincing people? Does it seem like a stunt? Is it, is it not what people, is it not a song that resonates with people? What is it? What, what's the difference? Well, I mean, and that, and, and, you know, this is especially relevant coming off of the moment that we had with Tracy Chapman at the Grammys, right? Yeah. Um, I really think it's just public perceptions of what black is, which is really stupid because there are, there are people that don't really think of Darius Rucker as being African-American, but yeah. everyone thinks of Beyonce as being African-American. And I think that's complete, you know, horse pucky, but I think that's sadly the times we're living in. And I think that a lot of these people outside the fact that they're culturally stupid, it could just be the fact that they heard the record first didn't know it was Beyonce. And then when they realized they liked it and have realized it was Beyonce, they got ticked off. Hmm. I, I think there is some of that too, because the first time I heard it, I caught it sort of like mid play when I was out in public. Hmm. And then I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And then I heard it was the Beyonce record. So hmm. that was my first hearing of is I didn't hear it labeled as this is the new Beyonce record. Yeah. Which in a way is the best way to hear music, right? Is not being associated with a, with a, particular ethnicity or artist tag Mm -hmm. to it just hearing it and knowing what it is right Um, i wish they went did like sneaking out white labels again that would be fun yeah or or the thing where they used to put out uh they used to put out just records to radio and not tell people who the artist is yes they just let them figure it out yeah but i mean you know when you hear the vocal it sounds like her yes you know i don't think it would have fooled anybody for very long. I think that any DJ that was previewing the record before they played it on the air would have at least suspected that it's her. If they had any sensibilities for pop music, if they didn't, you know, there are people that have no, you know, I don't know if I could name who country artists are when I hear them, you know? Well, okay, sure. But so I'm assuming that some people that are country DJs don't necessarily know what Beyonce sounds like. I know it's crazy, but they're, you know, (laughs) Well, I mean, and there's also, even within country right now, there's also like, where does country stop and where does well, Americana start? 
not even right? that. Where does country stop and where does, you know, just regular pop start? Yeah. Because I think that right now the lines are so blurred in, and, and I think especially around the country scene, because there's so much that to me just doesn't, I mean, I don't know that we really want traditional country. I don't know that that would really work today, but a lot of what happens on radio now is basically just a big pop rock song that may happen to have a fiddle in it or something like that. <laughs> you know, I don't know how country some of this stuff is. So when I'm asking about is the Beyonce single convincingly country, there's a lot of other stuff on the country charts that to me isn't convincingly country. So, you know, where does it stop? If you're looking at like, what do you think traditional country is? The quote traditional country feels like it's been split off to bluegrass and Americana. Right. Or those kind of subgenres. But it's also, I also feel like that's kind of a way for modern country radio to not play Brandy Carlisle, <laughs> to not play Alison Krauss, mm. to not play these artists that traditionally would fit under, or even like the last couple of Dolly Parton records. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it feels like if you want to call that something else, it feels like a way to be able to skirt around not putting more female artists on the radio which has been a big problem for country radio for decades because there's always been, there's been like the inner thing. Like you, we can only have a certain number of female artists in the playlist, in the rotation at any time. Right. And, and so even then you're looking at not only, not only, you know, did, did Beyonce have the hurdle of being female? <laughs> yeah. She also had her ethnicity as part of, part of the equation. And, you know, that's, Women aren't getting played on country radio anyway. And the weird thing is, and and when Dolly came out and kind of in support of Beyonce, it's she's the example of it. She's the blueprint because if you want to be a successful female country recording artist, you have to stop making country music. Dolly had to do it. Carrie Underwood's had to do it. Taylor Swift had to stop doing it. Who? Uh, yeah, right. I know. I don't think Taylor Swift had to do it. I think Taylor Swift wanted to do it. I think well, I she think Taylor, Taylor Swift was following following where everybody else went because, yeah. you know, if you want, there's only a certain amount of airplay you're going to get as a female artist on country radio. And if you want to expand your audience or you want to sell more records or you want to reach a bigger audience, you're going to have to go where people will play you. And, yeah. and pop radio is it. Hmm. I don't know, man. I, I feel like Marin Morris and some of these other ladies are getting a lot of airplay on country. Well, they did it after they had pop singles, though. Like Marin Morris, yeah, okay. Marin Morris and, and those folks are getting are getting yeah. play now on country radio after they went pop and came back. But uh, okay, maybe. But what? Okay, Casey Musgraves has she had any pop success? I think she's had more pop success than uh, than country success. You think so? Yeah, she's okay. had more. She's had she's had more top one hundred singles on the pop chart than she has on the country chart. Hmm. Interesting. This requires. I mean, her entire last album cycle was was even though it was technically a country album, it was on the pop charts. Yeah. Like hmm. her last couple of albums have all been have all been kind of skirting skirting the line that way. Yeah. Which, you know, that brings up another example to me, and that is uh, one of my current favorite new artists, and that's Noah Khan, who yeah. has been big on the alt uh, radio 
landscape for the past year or so. And now he's being picked up by, you know, mainstream uh, outlets. And, you know, his, his his a lot of his music is very banjo based. And I don't see that it's that far from something that could be played on a country station. So but how does he end up in in alt radio? You know what I mean? It's like the the genres are I mean, not that there needs to be sharply defined barriers between genres. I don't yeah. see that as being a necessity at all. It's just sometimes it's weird where people fall, you know, or how they're marketed by their label. I guess it's kind of a function of where some of the some of the people and some of those labels fall because even in the case of Beyonce, when we're talking about the Beyonce track, like country radio stations didn't get the Beyonce song until Wednesday, mm-hmm. the Wednesday after the Super Bowl, like three days after the drop, mm-hmm. like pop, some pop stations in major markets had it an hour before the drop. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, there's a couple of country stations that did get in early and play it that went and grabbed it, grabbed a copy from their, like if there was a pop station or an R&B station in their family of stations, they would go get it from from them because they weren't getting it. Because Sony didn't serve it to them until Wednesday. There were a lot of stations that didn't get in on it early and got hit with some controversy over not playing it because yeah. they didn't have it. Yeah. So. And that tells me that that's the, uh, the artist sort of putting her foot down maybe, or artist management, you know, yeah. sort of telling the label, hey, send this off the country. Um, so, I mean, if, I also, she, if she's recording a country album, certainly that would be her intent yeah. to get play, to have these things served to country stations. Or at the very yeah. least to, to, to provoke the conversation, that conversation. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. exactly. Because I think, again, going back to, you know, what she's what she's kind of saying, the point of especially this this part two of Renaissance is to kind of shine a light on the influence that exists in some of these genres that haven't been sort of represented or talked about a lot or Mm -hmm. that conversation. Mm -hmm. So it feels like, well, that's part of that's part of having that conversation. But, you know, it's interesting to look at the number of people who did not start off as country that moved into country or artists that were known for other things that still worked within the country boundaries at some point. I mean, even going back to Elvis, who was is thought of as a rock and roller, but he did gospel. He did some country. And you talk about Ray Charles. He yeah. was gospel, country, rock, soul. He, I mean, he was all over the map. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of very, very, very well-established country artists that did not start off as country. And the first one that I always think of is Kenny Rogers, who started off in almost an acid rock band called the First Edition. And it's so interesting to go back and look at what he was doing before making the move into country. You would never think that that guy was going to land in country and have the career that he had based on that early, mm-hmm. you know, on the early stuff that he was doing. And even then, you know, he's doing country stuff and then he just sort of took that full dive into pop, right? Oh, sure. Full on, which I mean, a lot of people question whether Kenny Rogers is even country now. But you remember, this was what, 1980-ish, that movie Urban Cowboy came out and that's what opened the floodgates to all that crossover stuff. Like yeah. that's what all of a sudden Top 40 Radio wanted was more country we want country sounding stuff. Yeah, that's that was and that was also when uh, Willie and Dolly made their 
their crossovers um, yeah. or kind of kind of kind of happened in sync with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that kind of felt like I think some of that was happening before Urban Cowboy. But mm-hmm. um, the other th- the other early example I can think of is like Conway Twitty. Like mm-hmm. yeah. his early singles, his his most of his early singles were more rockabilly. And they uh, I think what was it? Um, a couple of them were one of them was like one of the early UK number ones uh, as a crossover single. I did Willie Nelson dabbled in it early when he yeah. was trying to get anything he was writing somewhere. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. these, these people who are songwriters, you know, they want to get their stuff recorded and published. I yeah. mean, and as part of this conversation, the other kind of sub thing that came out of it is, you know, T Pain has been talking about, Hey, I've written country stuff and I have to take my name off the credits because I'm afraid it's not going to get, it's not going to get anywhere if, if I leave my name on it. So, right. right. You mentioned Taylor a, a little bit ago and, Who? you know, in, in the modern radio landscape, everything's going to come back to Taylor at some point. And, you know, watching her career is kind of an interesting thing to see the progression because she starts out very country mm-hmm. and, you know, even twangy and makes that move into more rock based, um, like the red album, which was what album number four, she makes that move into more of a rock sound, still very pop, but with much more rock influence in it. And then from that into dance and, and in some cases, almost electronica where some of her stuff is so overproduced that you would never think. And it's so weird to watch the eras show where she starts out with her modern stuff, goes back to her country stuff you know, the middle of the show uh, focuses on red. So she's doing more of her Rocky kind of stuff and then back to country and then back to And it's just crazy to watch all these different things unfold throughout her career. Where will she go next? No idea. I think she's going to do another country album. You think so, huh? I think she's going to come back to country at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Like you said, Midnight's is a church's record. Midnight was 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 Taylor's taken a church's record. It li- that's what that album literally is. Um, she did a couple albums with, uh, with 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 the guitarist from the National. Yep. So yep. you know, and she showed up on a National record. So uh, she's 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 dabbled in indie indie folk rock Americana. Yeah, Americana. Also with Taylor, it's kind of different because she's a kid, and so it's Still? kind of natural. <laughs> yeah. Well, she grew up. Let's just say. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, cause she started doing this, like even when she was writing songs for other people, she was what? 13. Right. <laughs> so, you know, if it, that's a kind of thing that feels natural, that the same thing that, you know, you want to progress and you may want to find different interests as you grow up. Like it's the thing we hope for with, uh, w- w- with the kids in the, uh, the group that sounds like Led Zeppelin, you hope that at some point those guys those guys find their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to see the groups that, that actually don't go out of their lane, yes. you know, and you get a lot of that with some of the, some of the harder core rock. Cause I just think there's a lot of rock audiences that aren't interested in hearing their, their heroes do anything other than the thing that they do. You know, mm-hmm. and it's yeah. very hard to break out of those lanes and to do anything different. And, True artists always want to expand, always want to experiment, always want to break into something new and, you know, explore new territory. And they're always listening to stuff that isn't the thing they're doing. Always. 
The first time I ever heard Gene Simmons, and this goes way back, you know, decades back, talk about how much he loved ABBA. I was like, what? <laughs> or, or Gene tells the story about uh, about uh, Disney songs. Oh, yeah. Well, he recorded a Disney song on his first solo album in 78. And and his uh, and, and his, you know, sort of personal connection to like a lot of those yeah. songs and those Disney movies. Yeah. And he's really like into those. So there you go. So every artist has lots of different ingredients that have been put into the the soup that is what they are. And it's 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 kind of sad to see anybody defined in a in a strict way to where they can't explore some of these other things, you know? I mean, I always think of ACDC, like they have never sounded anything other than ACDC. What did they listen to when they grew up? Did they listen to, you know, there's so many um, rock British artists that grew up on Motown. Did ACDC? I don't know because you never hear anything of that or anything other than whatever sounds like ACDC in their music. Yeah. I, I think it's just them knowing who their audience well, yeah. is knowing yeah. exactly. And Cause it's also, it's also a guessing game, right? Because if you're an artist and you're trying to record an album, they may not be interested in like your, your 16 songs on the loot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. They I may know. not be the general audience may not be interested in that, but it's also another thing to kind of know what your audience wants and be able to continue to be interested I think in their case to be interested to continue to be interested in like just trying to find new ways to make it sound the same way. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Because that's also a challenge. Right. Not as not as not as, you know, I guess not as stretch stretching. Not yeah. not as exercising maybe. Um, but but it is also a, a, a talent to like figure out to know exactly what what the people who are into you want from you yeah. and that you can turn it around and give it to them in a near yearly basis. Right. And you know, that's where that's the beauty of a solo career. That's yeah. where you can break away and do whatever you want to do. And one of the best examples of that is uh, there's a, a group called Godsmack, which is a hard rock band that I love. I think they're so good. And their lead singer is a guy called Sully Erna, who has gone off and done solo albums with lots of different influences from world music and all kinds of stuff. And it's a fascinating thing to hear the stuff that he's doing on the side, as opposed to what he's known for in Godsmack. Mm hmm. And it's, and, and, you know, and it's like a, it's like a, a movie producer or director who does the big blockbuster so that he can afford to then go off and do his art film, his art project on the side, which is what he really wants to do. <laughs> and I think in hard rock, I think of like Serge Turkanian from uh, System of Down. Yeah. Like, have you heard Ed, like his solo stuff is so varied uh, mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and so um, some of it he's even done like classical pieces. It's 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 so varied and so interesting uh, from from apart from his work from System of a Down and some of the other hard rock things he's done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a great example. Trent Reznor is another example. Yep. Oh, yeah, totally. He did win a country music award for writer of the for best song for for Johnny Cash's cover of Hurt, which uh, I believe he accepted with Johnny's son. What are some other artists that you can think of that are known for their genre hopping? 
Um, I'll start with Norman Cook, who a lot of us know as Fat Boy Slim, because he started off as the drummer for the House Martins, which is uh, pretty much a band from Hull. It sounded a lot like the Smiths, the contemporary of the Smiths and Aztec Cameron things. And then he um, changed his name to Fat Boy Slim and started DJing yeah. and became huge as a DJ. And now he has uh, revived his Marcos musical with uh, David Byrne. Yeah. So, yeah. Another guy oh, yeah. who likes the genre hop. <laughs> right, absolutely. I was thinking Herbie Hancock, actually. Yeah, yes. that's a, yeah, that's a good suggestion. I didn't think he, about that. It's like Herbie Hancock and a lot of those, a lot of those guys that came out of the jazz, the jazz tradition, like Herbie Hancock and like George Benson and some of those guys that flipped into several different genres throughout like the seventies and eighties and just experimentation, mm -hmm. which I find is is fascinating. I think in the rock world, the king of this whole thing is Bowie, of course. Oh, yeah. yes. I mean, every year or two, he's doing something completely different. And, you know, he was doing lots of stuff before he became famous because his first bunch of singles and first couple of albums didn't do squat, you know. Um, and even the one big hit that he had, Space Oddity, it was years before he had any other success. And that was the Ziggy Stardust stuff. And that's when he really became known and he was the glam rock guy. And then all of a sudden he was blue eyed soul. Yeah. And can you imagine being in that audience at that time? And all of a sudden here comes young Americans. And then not long after that, here comes low which is yeah. ambiance. It's the electronica. It's just completely different. I mean, half the album doesn't even have vocals on it. I mean, what a ride that must have been being a Bowie fan at that time. I yeah. mean, the jump from like Aladdin Sane to Young Americans is staggering. Yeah. And yeah. if you haven't seen this, I would highly recommend seeking out the footage of Soul Train. The Soul Train footage, yeah, because that is like even people tuning in. That is something you can experience, like the 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 reactions in the room. Um, I think part of it might have had to do with okay, maybe he was on something, but <laughs> no, but, um, never. He might have been on something, but um, but just the reaction of like this this rock guy, this rocker guy, and I think I think even Don Cornelius comments on it, like this rocker guy is on our show. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah. but uh, the big jump from like to, to that to Young Americans, but even before that, he was, you know, it, it was him and Bolin that were kind of in the, the, the kind of folky kind of oh, music. Yeah. And, oh, and, yeah. and, and like Bolin's one of those guys that shifted. Mm -hmm. um, and I think where it worked for Bowie that it didn't actually end up working for Bolin was that Bolin couldn't shift back because he kind of got trapped uh, in a way that Bowie didn't because mm. Bowie... Pulled yeah. the ripcord maybe a couple of albums early. And it's also an interesting template because you get that to a certain extent with Brian Ferry, right? Yeah. Who kind of decides that he's going to give up being glam rock guy to being a new romantic to kind of going back to being sort of like inspired by R&B, right? Yeah. You know, making Taxi and uh, some of the other stuff he did, you know. So I think a lot of the artists that were in that sort of camp sort of really sort of changed their stripes in many ways. Not to be disingenuous, but because they just wanted to. It was organic, yeah. right? Yeah, and um, also you can kind of tell on the scope of like fairy solo albums that he was doing in between the the Roxy stuff. Yeah, where it was a lot of the soul covers and a lot of and a lot of just all, all over the place sort of things uh, yeah. that 
kind of ended with, okay, when Roxy took their break, he kind of went full gear into that. And then when Roxy came back, it was still kind of in the mode of a lot of his smoother solo albums. You know, we've talked once before on one of our previous episodes, I don't remember how far back it was, about the the drastic shift between the first Tears for Fears album and the second Tears for Fears album, which is like a complete change in their sound. And like you would never have thought that they were the same band other than Roland's voice sounds similar. You know, I mean, look at the look at the evolution of of style from the Eurythmics from their early stuff to the stuff that most people think of when they think of Eurythmics. You know, I remember in uh, one of the quotes that I read when we were interviewing Richard Evans, uh, one of the quotes that I found was that uh, he described early Eurythmic stuff as a mix between Kraftwerk and Motown. The later it goes, it becomes more heavily Motown mm -hmm. with a big electric guitar underneath it and live drums instead mm -hmm. of a drum machine, you know. So it's interesting to hear the way that they progressed also. It's not necessarily a genre shift, but you can definitely hear the influences in what they're doing change around them. Yeah. You also get this too. I know we talked about Bowie and um, a couple other folks, but you also get this with Freddie Mercury with Barcelona, Yeah, except he's doing opera, yeah. which I think is, I think that record has gotten more um, sort of critical focus in the last 10 or 15 years for being completely different than what it was at the time. It was just kind of seen as a knockoff novelty project thing and not really taken, I think, for what it was. But if you really had any doubts that Freddie Mercury could sing, that's the record that changes your mind. <laughs> but look at McCartney. I mean, he's done so many yeah. different things, yep. including an oratorio. Yeah. I mean, yep. whether it's good or not is, you know, different people have different opinions on that matter, whether it's worthy of it. But he did it. I mean, it's a it's a it's an experiment. It's a it's a musical form that he's not known for that he broke into. And even with the fireman. Yep. He's doing things that you would never expect to hear from a from a McCartney from a. He's Beatle. doing like experimental electronic music with the basis from Killing Joke. Yeah, who had yeah. that on their scorecards? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is still pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, also, too, Paul Simon, because I remember I, I am of this age True. where I think you are too, Alan. When Graceland came out. It was like seismic. The impact. Oh my gosh! It hand. was, and uh, he really brought this idea of sort of world or global music to sort of a, an audience that was not getting it. Right. Yeah. It opened up a lot of doors for a lot of foreign, you know, foreign musicians like you, Masakela, and things like this were really getting exposure because of Paul Simon. And I, I think Graceland is sort of an album that like just completely is devoid of like rock and roll. I mean, mm. it's got songwriting and it's got, you know, some folky elements to it, but there's not, it's not a rock record. Mm -hmm. And I think that I just remember people kind of mildly freaking out. Like, what is he doing? Everybody wanted, you know, sound of silence again, or, you know, <laughs> they just wanted that kind of stuff over and over. And this was really, really left field for the time. It really was. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when he performed at the grant, he performed that at the Grammys. That was a spectacle. So yeah, but even the follow up to that, which was four years later, I think it was, it yeah, came out in 1990, um, The Rhythm of the Saints, which was very South American influenced yeah. and had a whole different sound from what you then thought of from Graceland. I mean, yeah. I love both of those records a whole lot. 
And I, I didn't at the time. I was so it, sick of Graceland. Oh my god. I was god. too, yeah. But now I appreciate it in a way that I did not at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same way with, uh, with, I know we talked about David Byrne, but the Ray Momo record where he's pulling off all the Brazilian stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. That's kind of, kind of along those lines too. But I think it was much more of a landslide when Simon did it. Uh, I also think of, a lot of this is fairly traditional, but like I remember at the time when Striper broke, and they were considered a Christian band, right? But some of the people that I hung out with that were really into metal were like really into Striper. Mm-hmm. And then when they found out they were a Christian band, they were like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Right. So I always think that's kind of an interesting contrast, too. I know we, there's a lot of sort of contrast and stuff with metal artists doing different things, but that theirs is an interesting one because they just they shifted so effortlessly without really announcing it to the world, right? Yeah. It's just sort of like they still were a Christian band, it's just somehow they got picked up and people loved it. You know, and even particularly in within that genre, you've got Amy Grant. Yes, you've got right. Katy Perry. Switch, you've got Katy Perry. You've got Switchfoot. You've Switchfoot. got uh, oh my God. yeah, Holy cow Switchfoot. I hadn't thought about that. You've in got a hang years. on, hold on to your hats. Sixpence, Uh-oh. none the richer. Oh, dude, yes, Sixpence were a a true CCM band for their first yeah. couple of albums, and then made that shift over into pop even though they still had their christian roots and they still had their christian message in a lot of their songs they then expanded it into but just like amy grant did expanded it into the pop market yeah man that that's okay that second sixpence album is amazing it is so good their first album is okay the second album blows me away just lyrically musically everything it's so good there was a minute where uh, Bob Mould got very tired of the music industry, got really tired of playing rock music, um, basically quit altogether and went to go write wrestling for two years. <laughs> this is true. He was a writer for WCW. And then he came back and he didn't immediately come back to like doing band records. He started DJing. And uh, mm-hmm. actually put out a couple of DJ records and also released uh, an album under the Bob Mould name called Modulations, which was a uh, which was a semi-electronica record mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. before he started doing band records again. Yeah. Which is a really sort of interesting diversion for him. Yeah. And I think, too, um, now it's sort of completely second nature. We don't even think of it. And there are people on the planet that don't even remember Oingo Boingo. But when Elfman put out that score for Batman, yeah. people oh, were like, man, what is, th-? I mean, that was like, I, I don't think an artist has gone from being a recording artist to a soundtrack person with such like, cause like the peewee stuff, you could kind of see, okay, there's Oringo in that. Yeah. Right. Right. But, right. But, but yeah, clearly with Batman, it, that was a leap forward. That was a huge leap. And that led to a lot of other things happening. Similarly, you know, Trevor Rabin from yes, has had a huge career yeah. uh, scoring films and Trent Reznor. Tr- well, obviously Trent Reznor. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Marr and some of the Hans Zimmer stuff. Yeah. Um, Clinton Mansell um, as well. Yeah. Stuart Copeland. Yep. For God's yes. sake. God. But I also too think of like Moby, who you know is yeah. pretty much known for being uh, an electronic artist breaking, and then he puts out you know an album of of rock covers, and he covers you know Mission of Burma and, and Flipper, and kind of makes a punk record, and then goes back to being <laughs> electronic, right? Yeah. So you know, there's artists like that that do some of this too. I think 
you see the lines in the late 90s and early 2000s getting blurred between sort of like punk and electronic music getting really blurred in interesting ways. Like I know you talked about Bob Mould, but there's some interesting ways this this happens. Yeah, uh, St. Vincent is one that comes to mind too because St. Yeah. Vincent, especially the last few records where she basically kind of does this sort of persona change, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. And apparently uh, if I'm looking at some of her her socials now she's preparing to do that again on the next record which may be coming this year we think like daddy's home yeah to where where it's completely just shift gears into like something that sounds like something that was the notation was to make it literally sound like 1974 new york and Times square is pretty good and, and, and how to fully replicate and immerse yourself into a genre and a style and sort of an image yeah, yeah. which i think you get that too with danger mouse yes you know, between Broken Bells and Earl's Barkley and the 10,000 other things he's on, you get a lot of that with him, too. And Damon Albarn is almost the same way, because he's got the record of Molly music, which is him doing music from Molly. Yep. And then he's got, you know, Gorillas and Blur and his solo stuff. And even his first solo record is very steeped in sort of like world music. It's yep. very interesting stuff. When you think about genre hopping, though, man, you got to go all the way back to Ethel Merman. And the glorious disco album from. (laughs) Although, yes and no. I mean, yeah, she switched over. Well, but she did it because she was broke and needed money and they threw a a ton of money at her. But again, it's interesting that a lot of these Broadway folks sort of got a second life doing that. It's really kind of fascinating to watch. You know, you see Bing Crosby evolve from being almost a straight up jazz singer to just being like a pop singer. Yeah. So you get some of that stuff and you get. Louis Armstrong going from being a jazz trumpeter to like singing, you know, so you get some of that stuff too. So there are some kind of older examples of it. Oh yeah, sure. I mean, or even somebody like Nina Simone who was just oh, all yeah. over the place. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't pin her down and and no. you wouldn't want to either. Like Nina Simone or Eartha Kitt, man. Yeah. yeah. Just- Eartha. But then you think about, you know, the Barbara Streisand Marvel team yeah. up with Donna Summer. I mean, yeah. of all things, you know, crazy yeah. shit. I forgot all about that. Aren't you fortunate? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll see you that though with the RuPaul and Elton John cover of Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Oh no. Oh that's, yeah. that's fun though. I know it's fun, but some there, there is a there is a line between you know switching genres and just like cashing in. <laughs> I think I think too, you know, you get some of this stuff with artists doing things outside of traditional music though, right? Because you get Green Day with American Idiot, they're write, yeah. writing a musical. The Pet Shop Boys yeah. have written a ballet and two, and two musicals, right? So then you're starting to get artists doing plays and, and dance productions and things, which is also kind of interesting stuff, too, because it's such a far turn. Captain Sensible goes from being in The Damned to recording covers of you know Happy Talk from South Pacific, right? Um, <laughs> you get all kinds of just truly bonkers. Or like DeVoto and, goes from the Buzzcocks to Magazine. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Mm. You know, punk from again to kind of post-punk, proto-punk stuff. You get some of that stuff too, uh, and I think that's interesting. But I think, you know, I think American American Idiot is interesting. It's not necessarily my thing, but the phenomenon of just it's an album, then it's a musical so quickly was really interesting to see how that happened and just sort of it was almost like a machine from what I remember of that of that sort of era. But but, them, but but you know, when you listen to the original album, there are some things on there that you think, you know, maybe they were thinking 10, 15 years down the road, we can turn this into a musical. 
because some of the song structures, the the big suite mm-hmm. on the on the second half, which is like nine or whatever minutes long, just sounds like a big finale to a a, a big story that mm-hmm. maybe they were actually thinking that all along. Well, I mean, at the time, you have to remember too. This is when Tommy was in running on Broadway. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is like this is where they got that idea because it's like okay, well now Tommy's on Broadway and Harris come back a couple of times, and it's just like oh we can we can kind of do this okay, (laughs) would that work? I don't know. Yeah, and it and it is really like and even the punk guys talk about well why did you start doing other things like we found another chord. (laughs) <laughs> because it's the three right. chords we found some more yeah there are mm-hmm. more out there <laughs> all right so you know beyonce's album will be out soon and we'll hear more of what she has in store for us on the country scene and i'm looking forward to hearing more of it so until then everybody uh, feel like you should chime in drop us an email find us on our socials and let us know what you think of the no- new beyonce record and does the song or either song really speak to you as country do you like it that's what i want to know so we're going to wrap up our show in just a minute we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back so don't go anywhere drew lighter here inviting you to join cletus jacobs and i every week as we dive deeper into the dawn of dc we review dc comics television movies and more we're excited to finish the final season of doom patrol return to sweet tooth for its second season and check out the netflix series bodies get all your dc news on the earth station dcu podcast part of the eso network all right we are back something that we haven't really done much of this year is our shout outs so what have you guys been listening to this past week i know i just threw rob a curveball because we haven't done it in so long. I'll start while he's looking. I've been listening to uh, an album for the last dinner party. They were put out some singles last year, making some waves. Uh, the album is called prepare for ecstasy. And uh, it's, it's quite good. It's a very dramatic. It's kind of the big rock with strings sort of thing, okay. except a little slightly more sinister. So more bad seeds than the machine, uh, which is really intriguing and really cool. Um, and I like that. Um, I, I will say I'm always prepared for ecstasy. Uh, uh, so. <laughs> um, anyway. there, ladies and gentlemen, obviously there is a new uh, Idols Records on the streets. Uh, it's called Tank, uh, which oh I also, God. which in the discussions for this show, I realized like, oh yeah, T-Rex has an album called that too, but it's spelled differently. <laughs> it's a great record. It's if you, if you are looking for uh, kind of the hard intensity, intense stuff that Idols is known for, it's there. Um, but they're also trying some experimentation and turning some quarters that I think are really interesting. And I'm kind of curious to see how they pull off some of this stuff live. So we'll, we'll find out later this year when they're around. I'm listening to uh, also the new Brittany Howard record, which is mm. called uh, What Now, mm-hmm. uh, which is we're talking about genre switching uh, is kind of all over the place. Um, some of it's R&B, some of it's some of it's straight up club records. Some of it's kind of a mix of both uh, kind of jumps around a lot. Um, it's 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 not unlike her first record, Jamie, uh, which which also kind of feels that way, too, uh, which I'd also recommend if you want to go back and check that out. Um, but that album's called What Now? And uh, I think I think uh, I'll leave some stuff on the table. 
I think Rob's <laughs> had some time now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, sometimes you get that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll start with Unwishing Well from the Reds, Pinks, and Purples featuring Learn to Love a Band, which is just really fantastic on it. And uh, also your worst song is your greatest hit, which is like just a fantastic <laughs> bit of pop music. So, um, yeah, I've been I've been screaming and yelling about the Reds, Pinks and Purples for about two years now. And uh, finally, I think other people are catching on. So uh, that record also um, Glasgow Eyes, the new one from the Jesus and Mary Chain. If you're old like me, you get excited about a new Jesus and Mary Chain record. And um this one sounds sort of like a more mundane version of their stuff. It's still noisy, but not as um, it's a little more mature. Uh, so I love that. Um, also, I love the new uh, Beth Gibbons uh, single, Floating on a yeah. Moment. Um, like pretty great. So I like that. Uh, Camera Obscura, uh, Look to the East, Look to the West. Um, they're another fantastic sort of band that's out right now uh, as well. And um, if you want something just sort of raw and visceral and sort of like knuckle dragging the new Kim Gordon record, the collection. Um, it sounds like a Sonic Youth album sung by like a really angry woman that's gone through a really ugly breakup. Wow. I wonder where she got that from. Yeah, I, I know. Me too. Right. So, but and, no, um, uh, and speaking of things that sound like country, that new uh, camera obscura single is very much a country song. And they've been leaning that way for a little yeah, bit now, but totally. um you know, they, they sort of are a cross between, you know, Tammy Wynette and the Beach Boys in many ways, right? Yeah, it's super um, nice, though. The, the track's called Big Love, if you want to seek it out. It's 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 amazing. It's really good. Yeah. Well, the thing that I've been kind of listening to this week a lot is uh, the new Judas Priest single, which came out on Friday. It's called The Serpent and the King. It's the fourth thing that they've put out from the upcoming album, which comes out in March called Invincible Shield. And it's all been really good stuff. But this new song, Serpent and the King, is so great. I mean, it is just prime Judas Priest. It is so solid. And Rob sounds amazing on it. That being Rob Halford, not our Rob. Although I, I think that Rob Levy would sound pretty amazing on it too, if he were to sing. Although it. that beard's coming in, sir. So, uh, you know, <laughs> right. So yeah, uh, go check out, if you're a metal fan, go check out the new stuff that Judas Priest is doing. It's really, really solid. And other than that, I've been just studying material for, um, upcoming band rehearsals. So that's been taking up most of my time. All right. So, Thanks, everybody, for listening this week. We will be back next week. I don't even know that we have a topic for next week, do we? I don't think we do. We'll have to figure that out. And next week, it'll be Rob, Stephanie, and I. So we'll 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 let you know what we're going to be talking about then. Mr. Tuffley, where can people find more about you if they want to track you down and follow what you're doing? It's always lovely to visit your neighborhood, guys. Um, you can find me the easiest way to find me uh, because I am on seven or 20 social media sites. Uh, most of them you can find me on as Tuffley or JM Tuffley because somehow I got that lucky. I won that lottery. Um, <laughs> but you can uh, find me on uh, Linktree slash JM Tuffley uh, is probably the, the easiest and quickest way to get to all of the things. Um, you can also find me on uh, with some program with uh, some gentleman, Rob Levy, occasionally called Weekend Justice, uh, which is three hours of insanity, uh, which you totally need in your life. Um, and, uh, 
that shows up every once every <laughs> once in a while when uh, when uh, when the Babylon stations uh, decide to shift back into reality we're on. So um, check that out when it appears. Excellent. All right, Rob. Hello. Um, I like Mr. Tuffley. I'm on Linktree, but I need to update the Linktree. Thank you for reminding me, Tuffley. And um, also a couple different social media things. I'm not on. Th- are you on Threads, Tuffley? I am on Threads. I am not yet on the th- on the Threads, but I'm, I'm on, on the Threads, Insta. and I haven't done jack shit with yeah, it. I'm on the I'm on the Insta. I'm on the uh, the Facebook, the Twitter, and uh, Blue Sky and it- Post. So you is can find Bebo still a thing. I might be on that. I don't. Know. I don't even know what the hell that is. So I'm on. I'm on Greedo. No. Um, I, I think I may still be on MySpace when uh, Timberlake took it over. I may still be on that. I don't know. Really? That'd be cool. Are you on Napster? Um, Could be. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm yeah. Lars's best friend. Right. Nice. Tell him I said hi. So yeah, you can find me a couple different places. Uh, for now, on Wednesdays on uh, KDHX in St. Louis on a show called juxtaposition. Uh, it's on Wednesdays from seven to nine. If you're not around, you can listen to it on the archive stream. However you want to do that. Uh, or you can listen in real time. All the shows are archived for two weeks. Um, then also, uh, Mondays from six to eight Greenwich mean time, uh, or one to three Eastern 12 to two central is antics, which is just had its, um, one year anniversary on louder than war radio. So Woo-hoo! it's uh, that's awesome. 46, 46 episodes of me emptying my musical brain and tormenting um, another continent with that. So um, that is on. You can listen to that. That is also archived uh, on their mixed cloud page. So you can go through and listen to those. And then uh, just starting now on the face radio in Brooklyn is the free design, which is my new show on that um it's a it's a physical radio station based in Brooklyn, but they also have an internet presence. They've got me, a guy in Glasgow, and some other folks uh, that do shows. And uh, it's a little different than any of my other shows because I just sort of bounce around genres and um, make silly. Um, so you can listen to that as well. And um, it's yeah. a fun toy department to be in. Yes, yes, it is. So <laughs> I do not have a link tree. I just have a website that does the same thing and it's called cosmic creative K O Z M I C creative.com. Go check that out and go listen to my other podcasts, which includes a doctor who podcast called doctor who a to Z and a star Trek podcast called earth station Trek. So we will be back next week. Everybody join us. Mr. Tuffley, thank you so much for yes. hanging out with us. Once again, we love having you on. Thanks for having me. I Anytime, appreciate it. buddy. All right. Everybody have a great week. Keep rocking on and we'll see you soon. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.